Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. Markets always saw a little ebb and flowing, shall we say, on the trade. We're going to talk more about that in the markets. Corn saw the higher numbers. The rest of the commodities were on the negative. And on the livestock side, even though it was down, it wasn't down real bad, but still some red taking place on the screen. We are going to start out talking about ebb and flows. And of course, Arlen Suderman is joining us with Stonex. So, ebb and flow of these markets do we just need to kind of ride along for the ride for a while well that's easy to say unless your producer has more selling to do or you're an end user trying to decide when to buy it and the emotions start to get involved Um, but to some extent you're right i mean we said back in february this is going to be a year with big price swings in both directions we have seen that we will likely continue to see that So price is still a function of supply and demand, but it's modified by the flow of money, and that money flow has ebbed and flowed, and right now it's flowing out. And um, will it come back? Well, that depends on how some things play out. So we have to look at what do we know about the fundamentals. First of all, we know that Chinese demand is still strong. There were rumors of Chinese cancellations of old crop corn purchases um, in Tuesday's market. I still argue those were not responsible for the collapse in the market. Um, There have been some rolling of old crop into new crop. We've also seen some movement uh, shifting from Pacific Northwest ports to the Gulf where they have better capacity. Um, some of those things happening, but really nothing new there. In fact, what we're seeing is African swine fever showing signs of bottoming out and getting a handle on it. And if that continues to be the case in the weeks ahead, we anticipate a strong resumption of the demand growth in China for for feed grains and feed protein. Um, so demand for corn and soybeans remains strong and even wheat out of China. Uh, as we look at uh, the Brazil crop, it is still getting smaller. We anticipate that when we talk again next week, we should have our latest survey-based production estimate. I have not seen any of the numbers yet. They're just in the process of starting to collect that data, but I'm anticipating it'll be another smaller estimate, and we're already below USDA. So uh, Brazil's corn crop is getting smaller. That means we should expect U.S. export estimates to rise in the months ahead, particularly for the new crop corn. Then we come to the U.S. crop, um, the status of the U.S. crop. Yes, I do expect Tuesday's first crop condition ratings of the year for corn to be good. Um, But where do we go from there? We've still got a lot of problems and risks with this crop. And uh, so I I question whether the funds really want to turn from being long to going short this corn and soybean market when we're really anticipating that we're going to be looking at stocks both domestically and globally that are pretty snug for the next year, year plus. Um, But this is unfortunately kind of the volatility that has become the characteristic of today's markets. You talk about the volatility and and, and what we continue to see. And there's been a lot of talk about this being a weather related market. And then we see some rains that hit uh, some of the areas. So folks get excited saying, "Okay, maybe things aren't going to be as bad. 
And then you send out a newsletter midday today, and I was joking with you that orange is one of my favorite colors, just not on a weather map. And and when we look at this latest drought picture that you shared with, with your folks, there is a lot of red and orange on that screen. Yeah, it's a graphic that I pulled from NASA, and it's a satellite-based assessment of moisture in the top 10 centimeters of the soil. And it shows that even though, and this is as of today, this is an updated data as of today, so it should take in effect virtually all the rains we've had up until today. And over the last couple of weeks, we've seen some widespread rains over most of the Midwest, other than the eastern Midwest, which is largely missed out, but getting some now. Um, and we've had some areas of the eastern Dakotas, eastern Nebraska, northwestern Iowa and Minnesota that have missed out as well, although they've received some showers in most places. But the impact hasn't been as great as what the market has suggested. Soil profiles are very low, and this map really shows that really, I'd say two-thirds of the Midwest Corn Belt has dry soil profiles, and uh, this is the time of year we should be filling those. And I, I went back and looked at the, the month of May to date and found that uh, it was something like uh, uh, 50% of the Midwest has had less than 75% of normal rainfall during the month of May. And uh, between 25 and 30% of the Midwest has had less than 25% of normal rainfall in the month of May. Similar numbers for April. April and May is when we should fill those soil profiles so that we have moisture available for the crops during the moisture deficit months during the summertime when the corn crop's pulling a lot of moisture. That doesn't mean that we're going to have a short crop this year, but it does mean that the summer weather pattern is going to have to be more favorable. There's going to be less margin for error, and things are going to have to go well. Where are we going to expand our corn acres this year? A lot of the expansion is going to take place in the Dakotas, especially eastern Dakotas and western Minnesota. That's an area where we're seeing a lot of the expansion in area this year as well. So that's an area that is going to be more at risk. So having said that quickly before we go to break, should that make us nervous? should make us nervous and i think it's going to catch the attention of the funds at some point all right well stick around folks we've got a lot more coming up as we get ready to head into part two of the fontanelle final bell we'll be talking a little bit about china some rumors about them how much is it truth to that or is it a wait and see type of mode more is coming up stick around it's the fontanelle final bell on the rural radio network Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. We're continuing the conversation with Arlen Suderman. Arlen, again, is with Stonex. So going to break, I talked about China. And, of course, no surprise that there are chit-chats about China, maybe buying. Is there truth to those rumors? Or, or what are we seeing at this point? Or, Arlen, really, should we just assume that China's always looking to make some grain purchases? Yeah, I'd say more of the latter, and that's a big change from the past. You know, they always bought soybeans, but corn, they usually got most of their corn from Ukraine. Um, they've been very actively buying this month. We anticipate that they'll be buying some more. We've heard on the ground in China they want to buy about 15 million metric tons before this current buying campaign is over. That doesn't mean that that's all they're going to import. That's just talking about the current campaign. 
We've heard rumors in the cash market that they have already purchased maybe 4 million metric tons, plus or minus, of Ukrainian corn as well. Again, that's not a surprise to us. Historically, they've been more dependent on Black Sea corn, and that's where they like to get it from. Last year, Ukraine had a short crop, so they weren't able to get as much uh, from them. So we anticipate they'll go back to getting corn from Ukraine in addition to what they buy from us. Um, but they they tend to do a lot of shopping around on almost a daily basis. So uh, if the corn market's up, there's usually rumors around out there that, hey, China's shopping. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean they're buying. Unfortunately, COFCO, their state grain buying agency, has been able to incorporate itself so deeply into our cash markets that it can make a lot of purchases without anyone really being able to know it until the freight is lined up. And it's at that point that they have to notify USDA and it comes out in the in the daily flash reports. Um, so they can go weeks or even months perhaps with having made the purchases, purchases before it gets announced. Uh, so that's one of the weaknesses of the USDA reporting system. Uh, that reporting system was set up back in after the great grain robbery of the mid-70s, which I remember when Russia quietly came in and bought up supplies of grain here in the United States, and Congress said N never again and, and passed laws requiring USDA to set up the daily and the weekly export sales and shipments reports. Those reports are good, but as we're finding out with China here and with some in factors in the meat industry as well, there's some holes that need to be plugged in that system. And, and having said that, what is their needs? I know that there's been a lot of questioning about the numbers when it comes to, you know, hog herd improvements and expansions and then African swine fever being added into that. Do we see that pressuring and the need to maybe back off a little bit on soybean purchases, for example? Yeah, China says that they're at 97.5% of pre-African swine fever levels. We just do not see that. What we see is they're around um, 70 to 80% of pre-ASF levels. In other words, their numbers are still down by 20 30%. They had come back further than that um, end of last year. And then the second wave of African swine fever hit them, and that knocked their numbers back again, first in the north and then as the north stabilized then the south started to get the virus again and it spread there um, we've been expecting that they would get a better handle on it quicker this time around because they've been down this road they know what to look for what to do and they're more commercialized now so they should be able to get a handle on it quicker when I talked to our Shanghai office today I said are you seeing signs of that hand of that happening of them starting to get a handle on it and I said yes we are and I said, okay, then my expectation has been in the last half of this year, we're going to see the resumption in demand in feed grain and feed protein. And they said, yeah, we would tend to agree with that. Um, as for that demand, uh, it's interesting to note that local feed manufacturers who are our customers say that the demand for soy meal uh, in basically all feed is about the same now as it was before ASF. Now you say, well, does that mean the numbers of hogs are the same? No, because remember, prior to ASF, they fed a lot of food waste. Now they can't feed the food waste. It has to be replaced with feed grain and feed protein or soy meal. 
And so the fact that if they're down 70 to 80% from pre-ASF levels on hog numbers, but feed demand is where it was pre-ASF, then as they start rebuilding again in the last half of this year into next year, that takes that demand that much higher. So we still see a strong demand base in China long term as a result of that rebuilding hog herd and the lack of food waste in the rations. Real quick, box beef prices, will they continue to soar this week? <laughs> Boy, that's something we've been wrong about forever. I'm, when I say we, I'm talking about most analysts. But the demand continues to soar, continues to extound everyone. What's the best way for folks to get a hold of you, Arlen? Uh, StoneX.com over on Twitter, Arlen.FF101. Arlen and that's a look at the Fontenelle Final Bell. Just a reminder, commodity futures and options do involve substantial risk of loss. They're not suitable for all investors. The Fontenelle Final Bell being brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all your local dealers right here on the Rural Radio Network.